a city called Calgary. Calgary? Calgary. Calgary. Not New York. Not the lake. Calgary. Okay, Calgary. Ah, you'll love it. You're listening to CJSW 90.9 FM Calgary. Well, good evening and welcome to Folk Sutter here on CGSW 90.9 FM, www.cgsw.com. And indeed, we are coming to you from Calgary, from these stations up here at the University on the top of the hill. All right, my name is Bruce and I'm the host of Folk Sutter. We'll be here for the next hour and a half talking to a few people, playing music, and, well, I think that's probably it. We'll be talking to people and playing music. What what more could we do? Thank you to Blind Man Brewing for helping me to bring you this show every week and all the other shows on this wonderful station. Uh, what else was I going to say? Um, well, it is the Year of the Dragon, or it will be coming up this weekend. The Lunar New Year uh, rolls into the world, and uh, I thought we'd play something by Brent Amaker and the Rodeo. I believe they're out of Seattle, and uh, this is an album that goes back a few weeks or a few years. They do have a new album out, and that just made it onto the playlist this week. But uh, we're going to go. We- we're going to go go back in the past because this is from the album Year of the Dragon, which is what it's going to be starting on Sunday. Tequila Cerveza, Brent Amaker and the Rodeo.
Yeah, a little bit of tequila cerveza, perhaps the perfect way to celebrate the upcoming year of the dragon. Certainly uh, have a bit of a bite to it. Well, we've got a couple of um, couple of interviews coming up tonight, and uh, they're going. Hopefully, they'll be interesting. A few people phoning in and talking about art uh, shows that are happening in the next week or so. But before that, time for a couple of new releases. Starting off with Jake Ian, and this is called Such a Sight to See. Shoes 
That was Three Sisters by Lori Yates off of her latest release called uh, Matador. And, um, well, we'll be hearing more from her in the next couple of weeks, I'm sure, because she's on the playlist and she's got some really wonderful, heartbreaking songs about desertion and everything. Perfect for Valentine's Day, which is next week. Well, it'll be passed by the time I'm back here, but, uh, you know, a perfect song for that type of, for, for, for this season. I'm hoping to be hearing from Jane, uh, from Joan. Joe, Joe Jenks, yes, that's who I'm hoping to be hearing from any minute now. Um, he's he's hope he's going to be calling in, and we're going to be talking about his upcoming show in at the Calgary Folk Club. So, uh, in the meantime, while we're waiting for the phone call, let's try and give this one a, li- a little bit of a listen from his latest album. I think it's his latest album that came out last year, 2022. Okay, maybe two years ago, or year and a half. Uh, Coming of the years, yeah, where where he goes to England or goes went to Ireland and recorded songs there from his history. Anyway, uh, this is the Minstrel Boy. Hello, hello, hey Joe, hi. Uh, glad, glad, you, glad you called in. Oh, I'm doing all right. It's a busy, kind of crazy day trying to figure out what's going on, but that's, that's life. So you're, you're, how are you? His father's on, and his wild harps slung behind. Oh, so you came in from, from, from Ireland, did you? Or? Land of songs oh, that the warrior's heart, the war. Betrays thee one sword, right shall guard one faithful heart shall praise thee. Yeah. Okay. So Probably a couple of minutes. What I was thinking. Yeah, I've got about two minutes left for your Minstrel Boy song. Um, so we'll do that, and then uh,
when we hear the news, we shall cheer it. The minstrel boy will return one day, torn perhaps in body, not in spirit. Then may he play on his harp in peace in a world where all is bare. Okay, hi. I'm I'm hoping that I have uh, Joe Jenks here. Hello, Joe. Okay. Um. Ah. Okay. Does that work, Joe? Are you there? Uh, yes, I'm here. Pierce. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes, uh, things don't work out the way you know you you uh you you plan. So, um. I'm talking to Joe Jenks, or I'm I'm joined by Joe Jenks now. He's he's calling in from Chicago, and uh, a wonderful singer songwriter who's going to be coming to town this next week. And that last song we heard was uh, called. Um, oh come on! Uh, sorry, I'm the Minstrel Boy. Yes, a traditional Irish song, and I gather that uh, that sort of music is totally within your uh, your your history, your tradition. Uh, yes, I'm a dual U.S. Irish citizen, uh, and I grew up outside of Chicago. I grew up in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, but I grew up knowing that Ireland was a significant piece of my family history uh, on my mom's side. And uh, into my 20s, I decided I wanted that to be very much a living relationship for me, not just an artifact of, of geopolitical history and family history and lineage and i started touring in ireland almost every year uh i had a a trad band i lived in seattle for nine years uh in the 90s and into the early aughts and i had a trad band in seattle uh and we weren't just irish we did scottish and sort of pan celtic music and a little bit of appalachian from time to time um but uh yeah I always had a love of the Irish story and a, a desire for a deeper understanding of Irish history. And so the, the most recent album that I released in 2022 was called The Coming of the Years. And it's an album that really focused on songs that I had written while I was on tour in Ireland and songs written by contemporaries and colleagues and friends of mine, um, Kat Eggleston, Luca Bloom, uh, and specifically Maria Dunn. Can you blame the poor minor? I recorded uh, one of her songs for this album uh, because it just dovetailed so neatly into the narrative of immigrants and of the Celtic diaspora spread out around the world. Mm-hmm. So well, I guess 
I mean, that's that's part of part of your tradition. Is that you seem to write a lot about history and about the past. What is it that that appeals to you? Like, um, like why 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 focus on I don't know on the immigrant, say, or um, the working person in general? Uh, There are a number of reasons. Um, Howard Zinn is a fairly famous historian in the U.S., and he wrote a book called A People's History of the United States. And in it, in in the foreword to his own book, he wrote that uh, history books have always told us the story of kings and conquerors and captains of industry, but it is through Psalms that we have come to understand the history of the people who made those societies function. And when I read that, I I really had a deep understanding of what I had already been doing for years, which was being a documentarian as a songwriter and dedicating a fair percentage of my time as a storyteller and as a songwriter to turning that camera lens outward and telling stories of the world that I see around me. And sometimes those stories are current. They're present time stories. Sometimes they're historic, you know, so I might write about a current labor struggle or I might write about the time of Angortamor, the great hunger in Ireland, known to many people as the famine. But of course, the very naming of it in the Irish language, Angortamor, the great hunger, um, speaks to uh, a different understanding of that time than just a famine. It was uh, it was a time of tremendous struggle and uh, many people try and frame things uh, as relates to Ireland about well, the Protestants this or the Catholics that. Like any other place in the world, it it really is about classism. It's about money. It's about who has money and who has resource and who does not and why. And how people without a lot of resource are frequently exploited in some way by people who do have resource. And that's the truer story of the history of Ireland. I think an understanding of classism serves, uh, at least in equal measure, as an important part of the story. So there are times when, as a songwriter, I get to stand on the shoulders of many generations of other historians and storytellers and songwriters and balladeers and learn from their understanding and cross-reference uh, historical events from multiple sources. Um, <clears throat> but I just, I, I think there's so much music in the pop world that is very first person, my experience, my pain, my struggle, my love, my whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's something about choosing to be a narrative storyteller in song, whether it's a modern song about contemporary things or a song about things in the past that helps us connect with a deeper human story. Um, you don't find that there's a problem with um, presenting stories of other people? Like um, a, a big debate in, in historical or in historiography is, you know, who has the right to tell a particular story? Have you found that um, any, any um, I don't know, pushback over that? Uh, thus far in my career, no, I've been on the road full-time for a little over 25 years, and I've been a songwriter for more than 35 years, uh, and nobody's ever come back to me and suggested I didn't have a right to tell a particular story, but uh, I often interview people and tacitly have their permission to tell a story 
once I'm into it. So I might tell a story about uh, a veteran uh, who is struggling with some form of post-traumatic stress, but I do it in collaboration with a veteran sharing their story with me with the understanding that I'm wanting to turn it into a song and I will go back to somebody with a draft of a song and say, is this, is this hitting the mark or am I missing it somewhere? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there are certain stories I might say that about. I might say, that's not really my story to tell. But for the most part, I feel like if I can guide somebody into deeper questioning or a path of curiosity, that there's value in that. I, I wouldn't present myself as the person who experienced a particular struggle or a particular event if I wasn't there. But to sing a song, to tell the story, to uplift workers in particular industries or sectors, the the fishing community or mining community or a farming community, um, these are stories that are important to tell. And it's important to keep reminding people of the tremendous depth of community that we all live in, whether we see it or not. And songs are a beautiful way to help connect people um, to the broader tapestry of humanity, and we're all a thread in that tapestry. But it's, I, I you know, I, I, I have not run into the concern that you're talking about, but I think it's because I'm not presenting from an academic standpoint. I'm presenting from an artistic standpoint. And the goal is to open the heart to possibility through song, the possibility of awareness, the possibility of greater compassion, the possibility of deeper curiosity. Yeah. So you, you've worked with a number of songwriters, I gather, that, that were really along the lines of what you're saying, were presenting stories of the underclass, people like um, Pete Seeger, of course, who was a real big fan of yours, and C. Khan, uh, Holly Near, Utah Phillips, many in the uh, of, of the great folk singers of the last while. Uh, what What did they impart to you like what did what did you pick up from them that you can see in your music or how did they influence you might be the way to put it yeah i I would uh respectfully and as graciously as i'm able uh maybe rephrase um you know underclass uh Mm -hmm. as as just um uh, people of means or people of lesser means I, i you know there are plenty of people in the working class who, who make good money, and there are people in the working class who make very little money. Um, you know, there are people who identify as middle class but really don't have a lot of money, um, you know, because they don't have a good union job. <laughs> yes. Um, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a dicey thing, but I, I, I think people mistake class culture for economic capacity. Uh, and sometimes that gets us into the, the tall grass a little bit, into the weeds. Um, but it, 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 there is, uh, I think, a desire to separate oneself, you know, at least in the culture in the U.S., from being working class. And part of what I like to do through my music is celebrate the working class so that being working class is not something one should aspire to escape but that we should, by our collective cooperation uh, and collective action, find ways to improve 
both the working conditions and um, the way the work is done, the efficiency and and the uh, remuneration that workers get for doing that work because it's all very important. Uh, what makes a job menial, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said this, what makes a job menial is not the work itself because the work needs to be done. What makes it menial is when someone tries to take one's dignity away from them for doing that job. So when we stigmatize certain jobs um, rather than celebrate the people who do those jobs, uh, I, I think it's a disservice. Uh, and I, I would say Pete Seeger taught me a great deal about that. But uh, there was also a moment when I was in conversation with him and somebody came up to him and said, hey, Pete, how come you don't write more love songs? And he turned and with absolute incredulity said to the man, they're all love songs. And that's really how I feel about the work that I do. And when you hear Holly Near sing a song or you heard Utah Phillips tell a story, um, you know, you get that when you listen to somebody like James Keelahan, a mm. phenomenal Canadian artist, uh, Stephen Fearing, uh, Maria Dunn, uh, with whom I'm sharing a whole run of shows in the next two weeks. Uh, she's somebody who brings just extraordinary humanity into her storytelling so that we look at the painting that she is creating and we see some piece of ourselves in it, even when that story is about... Uh, someone far away, somebody on the other side of the world. We see a piece of our own soul in that song that she's written in the story that she holds up. And I think that's that's a beautiful thing. That's songwriting at its best. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's a, a good time to play something by Maria Dunn. Um, did you want to uh, go on with uh, play perhaps Can You Blame the Poor Minor? I know that's the one that you recorded, and that's the one that I have here in front of me. Um, that's great. That's great. We'll... That's we'll We'll give that one a a spin and then uh, back in a minute. Back out of the cavernous hole 
to a constant reminder that mountains will move. Can you blame the poor miner? Can you blame the poor miner? Thirty men lost when the Bellevue did cave, and the hill crest cold, blanket of graves. Yet somehow he's unit all from his mind. Can you blame the poor miner? Can you blame the poor miner for his need to unwind? Ask me here to tell you about my neighbors and my friends, to talk about the who and what, the where and how and when. But I won't give you anything you don't already know. But if you'd like, I'll sing that list of songs before I go. Let me sing you a song. About the people that I love, the poets and philosophers, the workers and the wanderers, the ones who walk the picket lines, who dare to stand and fight, and the ones who hold their babies close, rock them through the night. Well, you say it's un-American to do the things I do. 
Well, I sing for justice, liberty, and civil rights, it's true. Well, I say it's un-American to ask me how I vote, how I pray, or what I believe, but here's a song I wrote. Let me sing you a song about the people that I love. Poets and philosophers, workers and the wanderers, ones who walk the picket lines, who dare to stand and fight, and the ones who hold their babies close and rock them through the night. I guess that's the way it'll be Cause I won't give you fodder for your paranoid machine If the price of my silence is shackles Well then, fellas, take me away For I will live to sing again and Rise with a brand new day Let me sing you a song About the people that I love Poets and philosophers, workers and the wanderers, ones who walk the picket lines, who dare to stand and fight, and the ones who hold their babies close, rock them through the night. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. Let me sing you a song About the people that I love The poets and philosophers The workers and the wanderers Ones who walk the picket lines Dare to stand and fight And the ones who hold their babies close And rock them through the night Yes, the ones who hold their babies close Rock them all right yeah i'm back again with joe jenks and we just heard a song let me sing you a song that was written by pete seeger i believe is that correct uh no that was written by me that was written by you but it was about pete or am i it's about yeah totally wrong about pete seeger but I wrote that uh, uh, on the morning that Pete Seeger passed away. Okay, yeah, wow. So and it was based on conversations that Pete and I had had, uh, as well as my uh, rereading his testimony from 1955 before the House and American Activities Committee, uh, the U.S. House of Representatives, 
and he was called to answer questions um, wide-ranging about his personal and political and artistic activities. And uh, his response was different to each question, but all of his answers were really cut from the same cloth. And uh, perhaps a summation of what he said might be this. He said, gentlemen, I'm just a singer, and I travel all over the world, and I sing songs that hopefully serve to lessen the distance between people. And as for these other accusations you're making, I don't really know how to respond, but I did bring my banjo with me to Congress, and I'd be, I'd be happy to play a couple of these songs, and we could talk about them. And they declined his offer, and finally, one of the congressmen asked if he was going to plead the Fifth Amendment, which in the U.S. Constitution uh, guarantees a person a right not to give testimony incriminating themselves. And he did something that very few people did in that time, and he used a legal argument surrounding the First Amendment, freedom of speech, as his defense, saying, I've done nothing criminal in the first place. What I have done is um, speak truth about issues of social justice and about people who are experiencing oppression in our society. And there, there need be no criminal charges of any kind because I've done nothing illegal. All I have done is exercise my First Amendment rights. And Paul Robeson, a very famous American musician and singer, black American opera singer, among other things, um, uh, also used the First Amendment. And there were a handful of other people that used that as their legal argument. Uh, and they all ended up blacklisted for years um, <clears throat> in the entertainment industry. Um, but it's you ask why I write songs about history. Uh, it's because there are people in history and times in history when the the clear boundaries between right and wrong are very present. And I think we have come to live in a world that is very jaded and presumes that everything is a shade of gray. And I think there are there are moments in history that deserve to be uplifted because there are points in time when either a group of people or an individual have taken a stand in a particular way when they have, have chosen to uh, walk a path of integrity even at great personal cost. And, and that was the case for Pete. But um, his, his work and his music and his life and his gentleness and his fierceness uh, had a real impact on me. And I, I did not think when I was a kid listening to his music that I would ever have the privilege of getting to know him, but uh, I did uh, over the course of more than uh, well, just uh, almost 20 years. I, I got to know Pete, and uh, he was a member of my union local, AFM, American Federation of Musicians of the United States and Canada, uh, AFM Local 1000, and that was one of the ways I got to know Pete was through my union. And uh, he, he really was as gracious as he seemed on the outside. And that also taught me something as a blossoming performer and touring artist about, you know, how to hold space for people and, and, you know, the ways in which people are moved emotionally by music, but they don't really know how to quantify it. And they will sometimes say things that are intended as compliments, but they come out a little strange. And uh, I learned from watching Pete that you you just you receive the intent and you don't get stuck on the on the words. You know, you, you say thank you very much. I, I really appreciate that. Or 
you know, thanks. That's an interesting question. Let's talk about that. Or, you know, like he just, he was always looking for the opportunity to engage people in an honest way. And he helped me understand that authenticity is its own form of currency in human relations, in, in connecting with other people. Um, that we have so much projected at us um, through mass-produced culture that lacks um, that lacks authenticity and truth. And I think so. In response to this, my choice as a songwriter, and part of why I resonate with Maria Dunn's music is that clearly her choices as a songwriter surround um, choosing the path of integrity and authenticity. Uh, and letting the art be a vehicle through which that is expressed, but it is received by audiences with, uh, you know, a tremendous sigh of relief. It's a breath of fresh air in the room uh, when you when you come into hearing songs that come from that really authentic place, whether they're very personal songs or whether they're songs, like I said, that are a little more using the approach of a journalist or a documentarian. Uh, so Maria and I are doing four shows together in the next two weeks. Uh, we're playing uh, on Saturday night uh, this weekend in Saskatoon, and we're playing Sunday night in Regina, and then the following weekend uh, on Friday the 16th, we will be in Calgary uh, performing at the Calgary Folk Club, which is just an extraordinary community of people and a, a stunning concert series. And uh, that was that was what first brought me up here, was the Calgary Folk Club and uh, Suze Casey and, and all the folks involved with the club that, that have been being stewards of that organization and bringing extraordinary music to Calgary for decades. And so it's, it's always a privilege uh, as somebody coming from outside Canada to be invited to play in one of its premier folk clubs. Oh, well, I'm sure there's... Yeah, it, it is a wonderful place. Um, I note that when you, when you talk about authenticity, I, I understand, understand that, but I also gather you, you try to be extremely hopeful in your music. Is that... that um, Absolutely. One of your... Oh. Absolutely. Um I, I do believe that there is work of change that needs to be done in the world uh, right now. I mean, literally last summer we saw North America on fire. Mm -hmm. You know, there is climate change happening on a scale that is hard for us to comprehend. Um, but we all need to pick some piece of the work and keep doing it. We need to keep standing up for the rights of workers while we're working for the environment. We need to keep challenging fascism uh, and sort of dictatorial thinking uh, wherever it emerges in the world, uh, all the while continuing to think about the rights of workers and making sure people are fed and clothed and housed and keep thinking about how to do everything better. And it can be overwhelming. And I think art and music and poetry and theater and song and dance uh, have a very unique role to play because they connect us to something that is beyond our cognitive capacity to grasp. They circumvent the intellectual gatekeepers uh, in the left brain, and an idea is then felt, not just thought. Uh, we experience feelings, and we have thoughts, and somehow they come together through good art. 
in a way that moves us um, somehow in a fashion that's beyond the sum of its parts. It's alchemy. It's magic a little bit. And I think within that magic, we find hopefulness. And so, yes, I think the very active people making music and making art connects us to a certain kind of hopefulness. Uh, it doesn't have to be art that people do professionally. Uh, it can be music that they play because it brings them joy to do so. And it's a, it's a healing personal practice to pick up an instrument and play it or compose a piece of music or make a painting. The measure of whether a painting has value uh, is first and foremost whether or not it brought some measure of release and satisfaction to the person who created it. Um, you know, whether or not it has saleable value is a whole other question, but art is a creative act, and creative acts get us thinking about creative problem-solving, about rejecting the status quo, about rejecting, well, this just is the way it is, because we're accepting limitations. And I, I think art in the schools, music programs in the schools, um, introducing young people to the notion that they have not only a right, but um, in some ways almost an obligation to create, to be a part of a creative process and be in a creative world. Um, I think it trains us into believing that we have something to contribute to the solutions to the big problems. And so where there is art, there is hope. Where there is hope, there is empowerment. Uh, and so I, I will sing sad songs as well as you know, lullabies and love songs and fight songs and, you know, uplifting anthems, but all of them serve a purpose, which is to give people permission to feel things that they sometimes don't know how to feel in another way, but they can feel it through the music. And having had those feelings in a relatively safe context, they go back after a concert to their lives, to their homes, to their families, to their work, and somehow their cup has been filled up again, and there is an abundance of good energy that they can share with the communities they're connected to, and they will continue to seek solutions to the problems that they need to solve and do so in a, in a creative way. I, I think it's a very synergistic cycle. Well, it certainly does sound wonderful. You've, you've, you've inspired me, and hopefully you've inspired some of our listeners to come out and Go to the Calgary Folk Club next week and l catch your show or maybe to make music on their own or paint something or whatever. We're Unfortunately, we're out of time because really I could spend another half hour or, well, talking to you, but uh, I, we do have to run. So I thought maybe you might want to pick another song to go out on and uh, we'll try and play it, see how see how the technology goes. Uh, I, I would say go ahead and pick a, a cut. It's on the end of the Poets, Philosophers, Workers and Wanderers album. It's called Everybody Sings the Blues. Okay, well, let's see if, if I can find it here. Uh, I, <laughs> think, I think that would be a great cut to go out on. Oh, yeah. uh, I, was, I was driving from Albany, New York to Chicago, which is a solid 12 or 13-hour drive, even if you're diligent. And uh, the notion crossed my head as I was driving west, what would happen if Ray Charles and Dr. Seuss had gotten together for a co-writing session? And in, in the world that I live in as a songwriter, once you've had that thought, it comes with the ethical obligation of trying to answer the question. And 
And so the song is a bit whimsical and a bit hopeful, and it's just a feel-good tune in a way that that reminds us that, you know, um, as, as the song from back in the day said, what goes up must come down. But the inverse is what goes down will eventually come back up again. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful note on which to leave us with. And thank you for chatting with me and uh, looking forward to seeing you okay. next week. Yeah, thank you so much. I also wanted to mention that there's a pair of tickets that the Calgary Folk Club is giving away to the show on the 16th. Uh, and and um, uh, if somebody wants to uh, grab those tickets, they can send uh, an email directly to club artistic director at calgaryfolkclub.com. Again, artistic director at calgaryfolkclub.com. And I think the first email in requesting those tickets will get a pair of them. That's that's my understanding too. So thank you very much, Joe. And uh, this you bet, Bruce. Thanks so much for having me on the show, and thanks for uh, you know uh, helping lift up music in the community. Calgary Folk Club is spectacular, and I am so excited to be doing this tour with Maria Dunn. She is uh, both a personal friend and an artist for whom I have boundless respect. All right, thank you, and uh, catch you later. All right, take care. Well, I may not be the smartest man. That ever walked on earth And some of what's gone well for me Might be an accident of birth Oh, but deep inside the mystery Surrounding me and you Is something I have come to know And hold is deeply true Well, you may be a woman From the right side of town Going out evenings In the finest of gowns All but one thing's for certain No matter the shoes Sooner or later Everybody Sings the blues You may be erudite Or a real cool cat A high-priced jet setter Going this way and that All but one thing's for certain Everybody sings the blues
ironic You may be a clown And you may swear that you'll never wear your smile Joe Jenks there. Everybody sings the blues. Uh, well, you're tuned to CGSW 90.9 FM, www.cgsw.com. And we are coming to you from the University of Calgary, up here in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, my name is Bruce. I'm the host of this show, which is called Folksetera. We're heard every Thursday evening from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Thanks in part to the people at Blind Man Brewing, one of our many, well, one of the sponsors of the shows up here, so uh, yeah. So, um, well, that was a that, that was that was great talking to Joe, and um, the fun shall continue. Uh, Sheila from Dalla will be with us shortly. Um, she's touring or coming to town on Saturday evening, so uh, to let's play at the Bow Valley Music Club. But in the meantime, I thought perhaps we'd play a song of theirs. This is called. Best day.
Well, all right. Um, I'm back again, and I believe I'm being joined by Sheila from Dalla. Can you hear me, Sheila? I can indeed. Hi, Bruce. Hi. Uh, so, welcome to Folk Cetera. Uh, so, that song was called Best Day. Um, maybe you can tell us about that day. I know I was looking at the video, and I saw you took at least one picture in Mirror Woods, and what a wonderful mm. place that is. I know, eh? Like, the mountains are calling and I must go, that uh, famous yeah. mirror quote. But just, we, we were in California, and we brought our videographer, Luke Divers, with us and filmed the video for Best Day, um, almost like a super eight montage of, you know, just all the loveliest things on the West Coast. And then we also filmed a video for another song from that album called um, uh, Good as Gold. And uh, it was just, I mean, how can you make a bad-looking video in California? I don't know. You'd be hard-pressed to. Yeah, I must admit I've never made it to the Muir Woods. I, I missed oh. the turnoff, but, well, uh, go, go down go down there a fair bit. I uh, mm-hmm. you know, went over to Mill Valley, and I guess I took a right instead of a left, but around <laughs> around the north the north coast is just uh, of the bay is absolutely wonderful. Um, so you've been performing as Dalla for quite a while now. I think it's, what, 20 years or something yeah. like that? Yeah, just um, we have actually next year is the 20th anniversary of our very first album, which came out in well, I'm doing the math, 2005. Um, but we started singing together before that. We met in high school in Scarborough, Ontario, and uh, we started singing in the halls and you know learning Beatles covers. And then we wrote our first song, I would say, in about 2000, 2001, and then committed to it uh, and made a go for it in about 2002, 2003. So it's been a while that we've been best friends. Mm-hmm. So how how does that affect your songwriting? Like who who maybe... You know, who takes the lead, or is it uh, just a collaboration, or how do how do you how do you come up with with songs? Mm. Um, I, it's funny when it works, you don't really question it in the sense that when it works for you, like when it feels good. And with Amanda and I, uh, the partnership has been just so uh, kind of effortless in so many crucial ways. We have the same musical instincts, and um, we almost don't know who's leading. And even with the vocal harmonies, often we'll, we don't really know. The harmony is so integral that the harmony and melody are just as important to the song in our ears. Um, but for the, for example, for that song, Best Day, Amanda had this idea for a melody, and she sent it to me as a voice memo, just playing the ukulele and singing, doo-doo-doo. And it just instantly kind of communicated all everything that we had to put words to. So then the task was, well, we have to find the words that won't get in the way of how, how nostalgic this melody feels. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of, maybe we take turns taking the lead, but there's, there's no keeping score. And I think that's part of what's allowed us to, to last, you know, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, 20 years is, is a long time. Um, so you, you say that a, a lot of, or your, your, um, music, how much of that reflects your life and your, um, your, your friendship? I gather that's a, that's a main thing. Like, is is it? Are these songs autobiographical, or or where, or do you just draw on oh, yeah. everything? Oh yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't write. I, I don't know. I, I have have a hard time. I really admire people who can kind of be given a topic and write a song. I think that's such an incredible skill. But for me, I have to be in emotional pain, <laughs> and then it's the outlet, you know. So mm. um, I think um, we write directly from our lived experience. You know, whatever is like has bubbled to the surface and needs to be expressed or explored. Um, and 
And because we're such close friends, I think we trust each other in sharing those really raw, you know, feelings. Um, I couldn't write with just anybody. Um, I write with Amanda and I write, I write in another duo with a, a really dear friend of mine, Brian McMillan. And it's the same. It's a pretty sacred thing to share with somebody um, to communicate musically. Right. And yeah, and you don't feel bad sharing it with the rest of us after it's been processed. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Eh? It's like, I'm really shy, but I love being on stage in front of 300 people. <laughs> it's all, it's all very contradictory, you know, but I think it's, there's some element of you feel kind of safe on stage. And once you, the writing process is almost the most vulnerable thing. And then the sharing of it, I don't know, it's not quite as, it can feel very exposed. Sometimes the show can catch you off guard and you can feel really just there for all to see. And, and, um, but I feel for me, the writing is just, uh, it's such a catharsis and that's where the emotion really lives. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you manage then to, to, to pull off dealing with an audience? Like, you know, being somewhat introspective, like how do you, how, how do you and, um, Amanda manage to, you know, to pull off a show, to keep it fresh, to, mm. to, you know, to, I don't know, just to, to get, get it out there after 20 years. I mean, I think when you're on stage with someone who knows you so well, you can't go on autopilot because one look from each other. And we know that, you know, we kind of, I think we hold ourselves to a high standard and we don't let each other take ourselves too seriously. And mm-hmm. I think we just enjoy each other's company so much and, and make each other laugh. We have, we gen, genuinely find things quite amusing. And so I think we are on stage, we're kind of sharing really hopefully what feels like in the moment live for the first time often our goal is to keep things very fresh and spontaneous and um almost a bit of improv too mm-hmm. and i think if the story is kind of stale everybody feels it and nobody wants to listen to it and nobody wants to tell it so um mm-hmm. i think the best shows are where you don't have time to edit yourself and worry about how it's going to come out. And I think because, in a way, we each are each other's kind of, like, um, we're, we're, we're kind of each each other's audience. So when a man is telling a great story or performing a particularly beautiful moment, like, I'm there to kind of reflect it back to her. And I think that it boosts each of us in, in our kind of confidence on stage. Mm-hmm. Well, um, as we only have a little bit of time and we wanted to play a few few songs of yours, uh, we, we got a couple more that you, that uh, yeah, I gather you want the, that you recommended. Did you want to hear Levi Blues or Horses next or first? Uh, I mean, Horses would be. I mean, we're we're coming to like Wild Rose Country, uh, Big Sky Horse Country. We'd love to hear Horses. I think. Well, you know, it, it's a wonderful song, but that that's a myth. You know, <laughs> don't let it I out love, there. I, I was just responding to somebody about how much I love playing in Calgary. I mean, don't tell Toronto, but I think Calgary is my favorite city to play in. Just uh, we played. There, could there be any more folk clubs? And the audiences are just the absolute best. The volunteers who run the folk clubs are—they feel like family members at this point. But yeah, horses um, is a very special song to Amanda and I. We play it. I think we played it at every show. Right after I said that I love to keep things fresh, we play this song at every show for the last, well, I'd say, 15 years. <laughs> well, I don't think it's ever got old, at least the few times I've seen you. Um, all right, so, all right, a little bit of horses. This is, well, the whole thing. This is Dalla and Horses. 
Yeah, Dalla, what wonderful harmonies there. That was Horses off of their album. Oh, what... Well, one of their albums, anyway. And uh, I think I've still got Sheila with me. Are you there? Sheila? Okay, well, I don't know. Um... Perhaps I've lost Sheila. Anyway, uh, that was Della, and uh, they are coming to the Calgary Folk Club. No, not the Calgary Folk Club. That's another band. They are coming to the Bow Valley Music Club this Saturday evening. I believe there's still a few 
tickets available for that. So, um, all right, well, I guess I'll just play one more song from Della and then we'll uh, say good, say goodbye to them. Um, be sure to check it out. It's going to be a wonderful evening. They have such great harmonies and wonderful songs and a fine, fine band, the way they get along. And it's, it's every time I've gone to see them, they've been great. So, okay, well, one more track from Dalla. This is called Levi's Blues. I always come back to you. CJSW presents Black History Month, featuring Oliver Bowen. Oliver Bowen was an engineer and civil servant who designed Calgary's light rail transit system. The grandson of Willis Bowen, one of Alberta's first black settlers, 
Oliver Bowen was born in Amber Valley, a black ranching community north of Edmonton. The families who settled here had left the United States to escape segregation and racism, although many of them still experienced discrimination in Western Canada. According to CBC journalist Hannah Cost, Bowen was described by his cousin Peggy Brown as mischievous with a great sense of humor. And, evidenced in his groundbreaking work for the city, Oliver Bowen was also a problem solver. Bowen graduated from the University of Alberta with a civil engineering degree in 1965 and was hired that same year by the city of Calgary as the city's first special projects engineer. The Calgary Public Library states that, while working in this position, he helped design some of the city's major roads and would later develop an essential form of transport for many Calgarians, the C-Train. In 1977, Bowen became the manager of the Light Rail Transit Division of Calgary Transit and helped design the first stretch of the LRT from Anderson to City Hall Station. Bowen created the C-Train under budget and with time to spare. His work changed the city forever and continues to benefit the hundreds of thousands of Calgarians who use the C-Train every single day. He retired after a 14-year stint as the director of the City Transport Department. Even after his passing in 2000, his legacy lives on in the Oliver Bowen Maintenance Facility, which was named after him, and every time a Calgarian uses the C-Train. Thank you, Oliver Bowen. Well, all right. Welcome back to Folksider here on CJSW 9.9 FM. My name is Bruce, and I have been your host for this past little while. Uh, had a couple of guests tonight, Dalla and Joe Jenks both of whom are coming to town in the next week, Dalla, this Saturday evening at the Bow Valley Music Club. And as I mentioned, a few tickets available for them still, so, you know, get them fast. It's going to be a wonderful evening. Opening up for Dalla, Rob Levesque and the Calverts. Uh, yeah. Um, also, this weekend on Saturday, if you want to pop by the Ironwood, uh, the Bluegrass Sessions in the afternoon, that's a, that's, that's a fun afternoon of banjo and fiddle and uh, upright bass and just just great music all around maybe even some drums sometimes it's too late to go see magnolia buckskin at the ironwood on saturday evening they're doing their cd release and uh, well that's sold out so look for them later on around calgary they're going to be great um what else this weekend uh well the Year of the Dragon comes in, so you might want to go down to Chinatown and check things out there because it's going to be it's going to be a hip hopping place or a happening place. So yeah, so um, so there's that. Next week, Block Heater rolls into town, and the Slocan Ramblers too. They'll also be coming into uh, the Irish Cultural Center. Brought to you, they'll be brought to you by the Foothills Bluegrass Society. So. Um, Great weekend coming up next weekend to all sorts of music. All sorts of music this weekend. So, you know, uh, check that out. There's something on Sunday, some sort of thing about owls and how wonderful they are. Uh, I believe they're showing pictures of them at various watering holes. And um, you can check out Blind Man Brewing at some of the better places around town at the Ironwood at the Ship and Anchor, at Mikey's, um, you know, many, many places. Or check out Blind Man at uh, local 
craft beer stores for you. So thank you to them for helping support the show. And um, Noise is coming up next with Steve in about five minutes. I got a bunch of paperwork to do and maybe um, one more song. It is, as I said, Year of the Dragon. So we're going to play you a piece by a couple of Chinese, well, yeah, people who play Chinese classical music and are... One's a multi-instrumentalist, the other play... The other, possibly both are. They both play the zeng. It's a great stringed instrument. And um, Mehan and Randy Rain Rouge. This one is called Dragon Dogs, and it re- makes reference to sonically to two of the significant animals in the Chinese zodiac, the dragon and the dog. And when those two meet, it's a... It's a bit of a kerfuffle, shall we say, and I, I think this kind of sonically represents that. So uh, lots of cacophony and really neat sounding stuff. So with that, I'll say good night. Thank you for listening to Folksetera, and we'll see you back next Thursday evening. Have a wonderful week.